Welcome to Ambidon Planet. I am your host, Joel Ambidon. Thank you for joining me on this never-ending quest to learn how to teach better. Today on episode 88 of the podcast is a blast from the Ambidon Planet past. My mentor and friend of over 20 years, Dr. Gary Williams, talent director at Robert Half Management Resources, comes back to Ambidon Planet to share his insight and energy as we discuss the book, The Ride of a Lifetime, Lessons Learned from 15 Years as CEO of the Walt Disney Company by Robert Iger. Now, Robert Iger recently returned to being CEO after about a year away. Um, And just like uh, can't keep Bob Iger away, we can't keep Gary Williams away. It's awesome to have him back, have him talk, uh, share again, like I said before, his energy and his insight into this book. Had a, you know, hey, Gary, have you ever read this book? He's like, I haven't. Let me pick it out. He picked it up. And he sent me this awesome text message that I'm going to share within our uh, episode. And I was like, that is it. That's why we got to have Gary on to talk about this book. And just good to talk to Gary. It's always good to talk to Gary. So we're, yeah, we're going to be talking about the book, The Ride of a Lifetime, Lessons Learned from 15 Years as CEO of the Walt Disney Company, again, by Robert Iger, Bob Iger, we might call him. Um, as always, just know that we will not be able to communicate the whole value of the book. And even if we did, it would be from our perspective. And even though Gary and I give some great perspective, it's still ours. So in other words, if you like what you hear, get the book for yourself right now, you can go to uh, bookshop.org and which is a website committed to helping local independent bookstores thrive in the age of e-commerce. Um, you can go and you can find that link. You can actually find that link in our show notes at uh, amazonplanet.com forward slash episode 88. And in by using that link, you can purchase the book and not only support local bookstores, local booksellers, but also the production costs of the Amazon Planet podcast. Or better yet, you can also head down to your local bookseller and pick up a copy. It's a good one. It's a good one. All right, so I'm not going to delay anymore. Here's my conversation with Dr. Gary Williams. Gary, you're back on Amazon Planet. I How am. Are you? Oh my gosh, I am I'm better than I should be, uh, and uh, just loving life. And um, you know, been through a lot. You know, since we last spoke, we, you know, it's been, <laughs> yes. well, since we were last on this podcast, I've yeah. definitely gone through a lot of different transitions, professionally and personally. But I'm in a a wonderful place, and even though I'm no longer in higher education, I still feel like an educator every day in the job that I'm doing and uh, take an educator's approach to corporate America. And it's been um, very well received and I've been very fortunate. So, yeah. well, I mean, you're still, I mean, the, the word Wednesdays have just been popping off. That's right. There if you, you are not uh, paying attention to me on LinkedIn. Uh, yes, I have a Wednesday word and, um, we'll always try to tie it into something related to, um, the the work that we do with Robert half in terms of recruiting and then helping serve clients. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, I've had a couple of fun ones. Um, uh, but I've also had ones that are serious in nature and I'm really trying to, you know, I think, you know, what's interesting is the landscape continues to just absolutely change in lightning pace, right? And one of the things that we're finding is that, you know, as quickly as we get used to, you know, like in the recruiting world, Robert Half World, they used to just be pounding the phones. Like you got to pound the phones, you got to call, you got to call. Then it became more, okay, you got to get on, you got to email people and you got to do this. And then it was, well, you got to get on social media. And now it's like, actually don't put any words in there. Just put 
put images because people like to just hear you. So it's just been fascinating, you know, and actually that evolution is very similar to the book that you asked me to read. Which, hey. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> nice tra- let's, transition. let's transition, baby. Like, I mean, you know, when we talk about the right of a lifetime by Bob Iger, I think that the, there are so many, um, well, it's interesting because I wonder, like, seeing some things that are going on today and his return to the company yeah. is interesting because now I'm I'm now paying attention to it a little different. Yeah, yeah. Um, admittedly, was a, a a complete Disney freak for a long time. Well, I mean, that's what our, I was wondering too. Like, the, let's, yeah. we'll back up a little bit. So, like, we're talking about Bob Iger's book. We're talking about the you know the CEO of Disney. Yeah, and so like, and that was my first like. Are you like, I, I was pretty sure you're a Disney guy. Oh, I totally, I was, I mean, all the way through now we've, you know, once the, uh, you know, my oldest is 19, my daughters are 19 and 16. So we're a little past that now. Now they're the universal generation, but, uh, I cannot make this up, Joel. Like we, we literally have, we used to have, uh, a better tie to Disney, but now that we're, we're in a vacation group that still has their home base in Orlando and in fact, we're going again. We've gone every year pretty much for, I mean, I've been to a Disney park with the exception of the pandemic, probably every year for the last oh wow 18 or 19 years. Yeah. Um, and there was always something about Disney. And part of it was its reputation of really strong customer service. But I mean, many of you know, like it's really gone through a it went through a rough transition here. And, um, a lot of those things that they believed in, you know, were really challenged. And, Mm -hmm. and I noticed the challenges in terms of a reduction of service, increasing of pricing and just this tension, you know, but, but we're going again in May. Um, I, I typically, you know, I still go, um, I love the new Hollywood studios, the star Wars stuff in there. Cause you know, or Star Wars geek generation, you know? Um, But, you know, now I'm starting to view it from a different lens because, you know, um, we have a friend, friend of ours that I, a GA, a former GA of mine um, and her daughter are, are going to actually come down uh, with us for a you know period of time. And now we're going to take her daughter to see Disney. So it'd be so fun to see Disney from a completely different lens, Uh, you know, but, but yeah, well, that's, so. Well, that's, so we just went uh, over the Thanksgiving uh, week of Thanksgiving, basically oh, spent nice. Thanksgiving at Disney and just, you know, having, and it was a bunch of different families or all together, like having this experience and, you know, over and over, I, you know, again, like you're saying, seeing it from different people's perspectives, because we had yeah. very young kids and they're seeing like, you know, Mickey walking around like, oh my God, there's Mickey in I, versus like riding roller coasters with my kids and, uh, right. and knowing that they're. <laughs> They're Disney level, which means they're like bordering PG thirteen, but a lot of times like still PG. So it's like, hey, rocking! I'm like, I'm not exactly. gonna be scared or wet myself or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's and, awesome. Uh, but like having that experience and being like, they do things right. And I just remember like one time I was like in the line for the uh, Slinky Dog. Oh yeah, coaster. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, a good one. It's at Hollywood Studios. Hollywood Studios. Yeah, yeah. that new part, that new right. part back there. And I saw a sticker. It was the it was the dollar sticker or like the price sticker on a box. Like so, like the 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 stru- the structure around that roller coaster is like toys. You know, it's like it's a box. For yeah. T- like this is like a Tinker Toy. Is like a instead of just having a pole, it's a Tinker Toy. Yeah. Pole, and uh, 
and like on across, like you're getting in line to almost to get on the roller coaster and across the way there's like a, I don't know, like twister box or something like that is like the wall. Yeah. And yeah. You see on there, there's like a sticker. It says 1996 or something like that, but right. whatever. And, and then there's like a date and it's, a, it's like, and over, but it's like a price sticker. And I'm like, I was just curious. I'm like, huh, that seems like something. So I looked it up. When did Toy Story come out? And the price sticker reflected the date that Toy Story was re- released in theaters. And it, it was is like, ama- it's, it's uncanny. The, the attention to detail. Yes. And it's almost scary. Like, in fact, you talk about attention to detail. And one of the very first themes that emerge in the book from Iger is um, with his relationship with uh, Rune Artledge, um, his first kind of mentor in yeah, television yeah. and the legend Rune Artledge. Yes. And they, um, and they talk about, um, the relentless pursuit of perfection. And that is a theme from the first part of this book that really resonated with me because people, it, 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 I think there's a misconception with perfectionism, like there's perfectionists, there's perfectionism, and then there's the pursuit of perfection. Mm. And what I love about that phrase is the word pursuit, because mm. that's the key word. That is the key. That is the key, because I don't, I am a firm believer that you would be very naive if you truly thought we could be perfect. We can't be. Like, and we, you know, well, that's, we could save, uh, our thoughts for another podcast in terms of, you know, that, that quest of perfection. But, but for me, it even evolved further when he introduced me to the word shokunin. Mm. And the word means the endless pursuit of perfection for some greater good. And that's when the light bulb went on for me because like, I mean, you know, and I, I don't know if remember if the listeners remember my background is I have a PhD in leadership and I've always been an advocate. And one of the huge, one of the, you know, for me, a, a ground, you know, a very foundational scholar is uh, Maccabee and Maccabee talks about um, the, the, the qualities of great leaders. And, um, and one of the concepts is in a book that he talks about the productive narcissist. And again, it's, it's, it's a play on a word that most of us view in a negative light, narcissistic, right? Mm-hmm. But true narcissism, like is the reflection or belief in oneself. And so he talks about that separation between productive narcissists who are believing in self and doing good, doing good works and then the unproductive one, which are leaders that we've seen throughout our lives who, you know, fall into scandal or, or have issues and are really using people for their own greater, greater accomplishment. And, and so when Iger brought that up, brought these concepts up, I totally like was like, oh my gosh, like what, what if, what if as a teacher and as, as a as, as, as a, even as a student of education or of teaching, we 
we're constantly challenging ourselves or we're in an environment where we were pursuing every day to try to be better than we were the day before and not worry about so much the long game sometimes, but just really focusing for our own growth and development. Like how could I be better for my students today than I was yesterday and being okay, knowing I may have failed yesterday. Like Mm -hmm. that could have been a bad day, you know, but today I get a new start, right. Or in, in the educational world, often we think about a new semester or a new year. And even though we have these, these memories of our, of who we were a year ago, more often than not, the people that were now directly in front of us have no idea who we were. They right. hear about they hear about you, yeah. <laughs> and from a reputation standpoint, but they truly have no idea who you are. I mean, talk to me a little bit, but like when you walk in for a new semester, like how do you approach that? You know what I mean? Like you may have a couple of students that had you before, but the vast majority of them, this is a brand. Yes, it right. may have been the. It may have been the 20th time you've taught a semester of, of calculus to somebody or teaching calculus to somebody, of, but for them, it's like the, it's their first time. Yeah. You know, do you think about that? Oh yeah, absolutely. So like thinking about like that first introduction, cause a lot of times, you know, sometimes you think like, well, they've read the reviews of the class you know, and so, <laughs> right. and like, they know that this is the, but like a lot of times it's like this class I have to take this class. This class fits my schedule. That's why we're, that's why we're in Dr. Amidon's section of, you know, uh, EDC I-353 for right now, but that's just, that's it. And like, there's not, there's nothing beyond that. And so, yeah, when you're thinking about every single day and thinking about it's like, what, what are those orientation? This goes to another book that I want to read by Horst Schulze, um, the, from the Ritz Carlton. He talks about those oh. first moments that yes. a, someone who is, and he oh. says it, uh, and this will be another book that I want to do on the podcast, but talks about not hiring people, but selecting people. Like mm. you haven't been hired, you've been selected. And so like, and, and talks about how do you start? And so been really thinking about that. And also too, you know, kind of with connected to this book, um, there's a book called Be Our Guest, which is all about oh, yeah. uh, Disney's yeah. you know, customer mm-hmm. service kind of philosophy and everything. And just how do you handle that from a, cause it's weird with teaching because like I'm teaching teachers. So I'm teaching students who are going to in the future have students. And so like thinking about the modeling and thinking about that and like, you know, every time, you know, like you talk about the relentant, like, you know, I just started a semester. It's we're like a few weeks in and I'm like already thinking about how am I going to start the next one? Because I didn't do it as well as I wanted to. And it's like, it's kind of in you're pointing to a story where, um, Iger was talking about the, um, the movie Euro dreams of sushi and like mm-hmm. how the, the main character in that documentary is, is like just trying to, it's what, how old is he? He's like, <laughs> he's, he's in his late eighties during the movie right. and he's like still trying to perfect the rice that goes into the sushi yes. and he's like, and, he, and everyone's like, it's pretty darn good. You <laughs> <know>? <laughs> and Can so you move like, on to something else? Like. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but like thinking about that from a, from a teaching perspective, it's, it's kind of manning it. Like I, when I first started teaching or first even thought about teaching, I'm like, man, I wouldn't want to be the person that has to teach the same class over and over again. How boring. But actually 
I did that a lot where I taught the same class over and over. And it was like, it was okay. That went this way. And now thinking about the next class and like, I've got a chance to make some adjustments and like, and to keep moving. So like, there's like Mm -hmm. these large scale adjustments, there's these small scale adjustments. And it's like, it's like this, you know, and I, I, when I start the, um, when I start the podcast, I talk about, you know, thank you for joining me on this, this journey, this journey of yeah. trying to, of this never ending quest to learn how to teach better. Cause that's what we're trying to do. Right. And like, you know, thinking about, you know, Iger's in this book is, you know, his autobiography basically. Um, but with leadership lessons within it, and he's talking about this, you know, the story and, and how it's this continuous like mm-hmm. <laughs> evolution through these different jobs and positions to end, you know ultimately end, end up being the CEO of Disney um and it's like these yeah, I would think he's the same way he's still trying to learn and grow and how to do this thing better and, and the lessons contained within it I thought and actually Joel, there and actually Joel that is that is precisely the you, he talks in the book, and and this is also like a Jim Collins reference to inflection point. He talks about this inflection point that occurs, right? So, you know, um, Rune was he was kind of a tyrant, right? Like he yeah. he was a he was really on them and and done, you know, really, and so, but it very specifically, um, Iger talks about a moment in time where he, he has to make a decision: Am I just going to replicate what I saw? Or in, am I going to like go forward? In fact, one of the, um, one of the, um, one of the quotes that, or moments he has with Rune made me chuckle because I could see it. I could see the positive and the negative of this quote, which was, you know, um, he, you know, Rune asked him, Hey, how are things going? And we, we often, almost always, like, I, I can't even I mean, I don't think I could count the number of times I've said something like, oh, I'm just trying to keep my head above water. Is this, the, oh, this is in the bathroom. He, this is a bathroom exchange. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, I'm just trying to keep my head above water and pan, dead pan rune just looks at him and is just like, well, you might need to get a, uh, a bigger snorkel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and like, I can totally imagine that moment being beyond infuriating, but yet at the same token, also kind of like you're right i could sit here and weep i guarantee we all in education have have gone through this you're right i wish we had more money i wish we had better desks i wish we had better resources but you know what i just got to find a way to get a bit you know i just got to find a way to get a longer snorkel yeah as opposed to complaining about being underwater and and there is and and this would this ties into what I think is probably the quintessential concept that I noticed in Iger, which is um, can which, I quote you? Con- can I quote you? I'm gonna Maybe. quote you. You Maybe. sent me a text. And I, I think did. I think it's right here. Are we talking both and? We are. Can I quote you? You because I thought you said it brilliantly. Well, good because I don't remember what I said. All right. <laughs> so I copy and paste it in this document. So here we go. From Dr. Gary Williams. The main theme for me is a concept uh, a former boss had, which was referred to as both and. What Iger does is tries to get both operational success and put people first. So many examples throughout his book that describe how he had to manage situations using a dualistic approach versus your typical straight approach that is contingent on the lens of the leader. 
Iger reinforces through his stories and examples that leading through the lens of the follower help both him and them builds trust and ultimately drive success long term. Unquote. I mean, whoever said that. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm really telling you. Yeah. Uh, I can't I can't um take full uh credit for the concept. Uh it was a former uh former uh a boss of mine who who coined that and would always challenge us in a meeting because we would be sitting around and it would it would always feel like for each of us in our lens, it would be like well, we need this. And then, then someone else would say, yes, but we need this. And then we need this. And he would say, well, what if we needed both and, Mm -hmm. and we often, often do struggle with that. But like, let me give you just a couple examples of what I meant by this. Um, like for instance, there is often a, a philosophy in, um, in leadership and in management, even on the corporate or mainly on the corporate side, but probably often in, administration that in your first hundred days, you're supposed to take this, you know, very kind of like backseat approach and, you know, get in all, you know, take in all that, all that you see the and, landscape and yes. get the landscape. Right. Well, in one of my administrative educational administrative forays, I started on day negative one, basically being told you need to fire this person. This is what's going wrong with this. This is having, we're having a problem over here. And so like literally on negative day one, I walked in on day one and had to do both vision casting and <laughs> make decisions. Yeah. And I will tell you that it, what it unfortunately impacted my ability to garner trust because I had, I, I was almost forced into a situation environmentally where it was hard to take a step back. And so I approached meetings with some of these, with some of these um, people on my staff from a, from a negative lens of, you know, because I'm trying to fit in with the culture of administration. They're telling me this has, this should have happened, but it had didn't happen from, and so it needs to happen. And now I'm, immediately going and approaching this. And so often during that course of time, and then in reflecting back, I think about the failures that I had um, as an administrator, because I, I, I could have approached it so much differently. I'm still not telling you that in your first hundred days, you shouldn't have to make decisions because that's the reality of leadership. You're not in there for, for, just, you know, looking at the landscape, you know, anyone can do that. They brought you in because they know you, you need to make changes as an administrator, but it's how you're going to make those changes. And that's where Iger trumps me in terms of he approached those situations dualistically and really tried hard to come to, to this place where, yes, we need to make this operational change, but we're going to do it from, a, a lens of respect. And that was one of the words he used often, which was honesty and respect. Yeah. So, and when you, um, you texted me that, uh, that quote or texted me that, uh, message that I just read, when I saw that, that made me think of like, okay, one, 
see when Gary's available to talk about the book. And two, um, like a couple of like the, the both end things that just, just a couple of them that I was thinking of that apply to the classroom that, that we, we set up these like false dichotomies. Right. So like I can work. So like, especially when no child came about and like, they're said, we're gonna, we need to measure math and science achievement. And so what people did like, Oh, we can only focus in on math and or not math and science, math and English language arts. And so we can only focus on that. That's the only thing that we and like versus mm-hmm. like, you know, thinking about a well-rounded education and thinking about, um, and also to addressing these issues of equity and diversity in the classroom. Like, like one of my, you know, mentors, uh, Gloria Ladson Billings talked about this idea of culturally relevant pedagogy says academic achievement is just one of the, you know, three things that you would do in cultural relevant pedagogy. You're talking about academic achievement. You're talking about cultural competence. You're talking about, uh, sociopolitical political consciousness and those things together is what makes up that that successful pedagogy and and so it's like this both and is like you know it doesn't have to be either or right this both and and also too like, like this idea also within that quote you talk about um teaching through the lens of the learner right i'm still the teacher mm-hmm. this was leading through the lens of those being led right so i was thinking about teaching through the lens of the learner is like, yeah. I still have to act as the teacher, right? Mm-hmm. But I still have to have empathy for those that I'm teaching and thinking about it from their, their perspective. So it's like holding both of those within your, you know, w- within your mind as you are in the act of teaching. Mm-hmm. That's that's about, and, and so like, I think that's what Iger is talking about here is like over and over again, he's got an answer to board of directors and they're looking at one med- measure, you know, what what is the yes. stock price? And that's it. <laughs> And, you know, thinking about academic achievement, same thing there with these high stakes tests and whatnot. Like there is something that people are paying attention to. But at the same time, he's like, but you still have to do what's right. Like you still have to do what's right. You still have to have empathy. You still have to like when, you know, he talks about towards the beginning of the book, one of the, you know, just a day that is, I, I don't even know, I understand how he went through it with like opening up um, oh, uh, Disney and yeah. Uh, in Shanghai, in China, in China and then and hearing about the Orlando and like all these the things alligator like incident, alligator incident. Oh my god! Yeah. And like all these things, he's he's handling at the same time. It was just like it in within a twenty four hour period, and it was just like still having empathy, still knowing that there are these, but still making decisions that are in line with with what his beliefs are, what he wants it, the you know the the integrity, the honesty, the respect. Um, and, and, but, you know, still also making sure like you still have to keep the doors open and running as well. So, well, I mean, think about, I mean, it is unbelievably timely yesterday. I just read an article that they Disney cut is cutting jobs while at the same token, increasing some benefits for some of the shareholders and it, the way the article spun, it it felt like they were like, oh, so we're going to do this, but then you're going to cut employees and you know i'm it, and then when you read into the article you notice that he he's making cuts in a lot of places it just happens to also be in staffing which is unfortunately for absolutely every organization in the country in the world what is your number one cost it's people mm-hmm. right i mean it is i mean and to only take a 3% 
cut of that workforce. You know, like, and yet I think it was in marketing, he he slashed the marketing budget by like 50 or 60% or something like that, right? Like, so it's like this, it it felt like I was like, oh, and and yet he wanted to reward people who have been shareholders and have been good and stayed with the company. So like, to me, I did not see what maybe the articles or the news network's lens is. I And maybe I, I, I'm not going to pretend to say that there isn't maybe something else that goes on and hopefully <laughs> we don't have to edit this out because it, but again, it is consistent. Like he did something that not after reading his book I, and knowing him through his book, Right. That decision looked unbelievably consistent with everything else to the naked eye or to not knowing him. You see that decision and you instantaneously maybe zero in on, oh, you fired people oh, and you're going to pad the, the the pocketbooks of your shareholders. Uh, okay. But it is a both and. And, and yes, it's always unfortunate when people need to let go, be let go, but Unfortunately, that is part of our in in on page one seventy six. He he actually gives you a formula for how you may have to fire someone, right? And and yet, in the same token, Joel, like I was completely like I resonated with the I resonated with the paragraph that was in there because it also is the same formula that we as educators need to use when we need to give tough feedback to a student or we have to give tough feedback to a colleague, which unfortunately we've all been victim of shying away from. And some people completely avoid it. But he talks about it's painful, but yet if you are honest, you can, you can, you get through the situations because, and again, both and right. It's a, um, there's a concept within, um, uh, emotional intelligence called the velvet hammer, which is a quintessential both. And it's, I'm going to have to make a tough decision, but I can do so with kindness and compassion and with respect. Right. And mm-hmm. so, and unfortunately I feel like, we've lost some of that. Um, if you look around us, right, like, you know, and, um, I not to get too political or anything, but just looking at the, the racial divide, the, the Republicans and Democrats, right. I mean, you just look at all of these things going on right now and you think, how did we get to either or in such a drastic way? Right. Like you're really telling me we're that far apart from each other that we can't have a both and I mean like the state of the union and having, you know, having, you know, people yelling out, you're a liar. And then yet, you know, the realization that we can't and won't accomplish anything unless we work together. And it's like no different than an English department versus a math department versus one school district versus another school district. You know, it's like, how can we find a way um, to be more aligned with each other and accept each other. And then you, and, and this segues into that, 
the other thing that I'll, uh, I want to, I want your thoughts on as well, which is when you read Iger's book and he talks about the acquisition of both Marvel and star Wars, I don't know if you noticed this, but he was super intentional. There were two, a couple quotes that made that really, really hit me. One was, um, when he purchased Pixar from Steve Jobs, um, and, he, and it was similar with the others um, in terms of Marvel and Star Wars, he said, quote, if we don't protect the culture you've created, that is Pixar, if we don't protect the culture you've created, we'll be destroying the very thing that makes you valuable. Mm-hmm. And then a little later, when he, I think he was talking about Marvel, he said, it does not, because there's trepidation whenever you buy something or right. you assume something, right? Like mm-hmm. you're bringing them in is that you're going to make them a robot of yourself. And he's, he was like, no, actually it doesn't. He says, quote, it does not make sense for us to buy you for what, for what you are and then turn you into something else. Right. Like it doesn't right. make sense. Mm-hmm. And, I I was just totally taken aback by that because I think to myself, how many times have we, you know, taken in a new class of students and said, well, I'm going to change them and we're going to make them this. Or how many times does, you know, you think about the other school district in your, in, in your, you know, the four elementary schools and you're like, each has a different culture and you're like, well, and that new administrator goes into that from a, from one school to another school and says, oh, I'm going to make it just like that's no, like, there's a reason why that school has its own name, its own mascot, its own. What is it about that place? Yes, every little culture has has its room for growth, its room for improvement. But it's it is what it is, right? Like right. It's there. And how do you take that culture and make it unique and special to the people that are there? And too often we go into new situations because of our own insecurity, we wanted to make it in the image of who we are and never, ever embrace where they are. So this is actually leading into, I'm having another conversation in the very near future with, um, well, and I've talked about it before on the podcast. There's a, there's a book, uh, when helping hurts. And it's also mm-hmm. Kurt Candler. He's got another book coming out. Um, or he has his book coming out. Um, so you say you want to help basically it's similar sort of, uh, it's on pre-order. I should know the title of it. I'm going to talk to him about it, but basically talking about working with, um, like communities of extreme poverty, right? How do you do that? Well, right. And, and rather than coming in and in the book, when helping hurts, there's an example it's of, what if Donald Trump comes in and says, Hey, I want to build a swimming pool for a school. And they gave this example. And like the school might be like, you want to give us money for a pool? Sure. We'll build a pool. And like, obviously, and so, you know, they build the pool and it's like years later, like the pool is like not being taken care of. Like it's falling apart. Like it's stuff like that. Well, we couldn't afford the maintenance and we actually don't need a pool. We are actually like, maybe going to try and like put cement in the pool and put a basketball court on top of that probably won't work out that way. Like, right. Cause, right, cause, right. Cause no one ever went in and said, you know, like I want to help, but like you got to get into that community and be like, Hey, how can I help you be the best version 
of the school of rather yourself. than of yourself, right? Uh, and or of the community, right? Or of that school sure. or of that space, right? And so part of the things of you know, it's brilliant the the bo- both the when helping hurts and then Kurt Candler's book, like talking Don't about how look they forward work. to reading it. Yeah, we're we're pre-order now on Amazon. Um, but <laughs> when you <laughs> go into uh go into a community and say we want to partner with you, right? Mm. And thinking about, well, what are the assets that exist within this community? What's our perception, like our assessment of what the community actually needs, right? And then what can, you know, how can we leverage some of those assets to fill some of those needs? And then where are the gaps? And now we'll talk about maybe helping with the gaps, right? Um, Mm -hmm. I was a part of a a, a service trip. They didn't call it mission trip. They call it service trip to um, Haiti where a community didn't have water, didn't have safe access to water. They had to go miles in either direction, like had to take okay. a taxi to go get water. And wow. so that place, um, and, and so like that was a need, right? And so the, to fulfill that need, they would, um, there was someone like, hey, we can get a filter built up at the top of the mountain that'll yeah. bring water down the hill and then people have access to fresh water. And the commu- what's the community have uh, the ability to do? They had the labor in order to take the pipe miles down mm. the mountain throughout the entire community and then to put spigots in place. Right. Wow. And then have even, and then lay out even the schedule of when did, when would people get you know, water at certain places? Yeah. Transform that community. And it was like, what did the community, what, what was the the need? And now almost, you know, kids have time and things and stuff to, to go to school and women have time to start yeah, businesses. What if, what, if someone, what if someone had just come in, right. And said, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to send you hundreds of thousands of, you know, gallons of water in yeah. jugs, yeah, right? In jugs. Like, and then like, well, what are we going to do with all these jugs? And like, we got plastic blowing up all over the place and like, right. you know, and all these sorts of things. There's what not happens a sustainable when solution. that ends? Right. Exactly. Okay. So there's the point that sustainability, right? And, and I think that from the naked eye or from the outside perspective, even when, and in you and I are both Star Wars geeks. So we're, to- I was so petrified like that they would, they would Disneyfy uh, our Star Wars, and yeah. and to some degree, you know, maybe they have a little bit, but but it's still, if you, you know, when you watch the Mandalorian, watch Andor. holy cow, when you watch Andor, you're yeah. like, I am taken back to a moment in the early '80s when I was literally glued watching Luke Skywalker figure out um, that who his father really was, right, mm-hmm. and uh, and. So to his point, he's saying like, yes, there is something to be said about financially and competitively by bringing these brands within our own umbrella. But there's even more to be said about, and this is what's probably not talked about enough that I would love to hear his perspective on. It's, I'm pretty certain he leads Pixar differently than he leads Marvel Mm -hmm. and how he leads Star Wars. And that right there is the challenge we face as educators on a daily, if not hourly basis, which is, can we be versatile enough to have a classroom of people AKA a business with all of these different entities and teach 
in 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 train both and and honor who they are and even learn from them yeah like that's been the greatest thing that i've taken from my transitions over these last couple of years is a, a fresher perspective on almost being less of a know-it-all and more of a tour guide and a good tour guide he plays off of people, you know, the jungle cruise. Like he's got, yeah, you yeah. may have some bad dad jokes, right? But if no one's laughing at them, you got to kind of get your stick going in a different yeah. direction and no tour is ever the same. And so I, I can't help but think not today, how much different I am interacting with people having gone through some experiences now and acknowledge many failures, realizing that if I keep on this, pursuit of being better than I was yesterday for the greater good that every day I get a chance to not just, you know, in my case, interview someone, get them ready to get a new job, think about that transition through their life, but also take a piece of them with me, right? And mm -hmm. listen to them and hear them because it's in digging deeper underneath that. That's where we then become even a better guide for them because we've established this connection that grows even, uh, even that may even transcend ourselves. Um, I may have gotten a little too deep there, but, um, <laughs> no, but I no. well, but well, I was going to, I hope that makes, makes yeah. some sense both to you and to the people listening to this, which is, you know, we, we so often again, and back to, back to the quote that you remembered that I said, which I did text you, which I think I, I'll remember now, um, which is, you know, if we could better look through their lens, right. We will speak a language that they'll better understand and that, that will make a deeper impact in their in them than just speaking at them at at wherever we're at. Well, and then that leads to, I think, and you talked about a little bit, like you know, this pursuit pursuit of perfection, um, this you know, dealing with with different cultures and different entities within. Uh, if we're talking about within a school, within a district, within um, within each individual classroom, uh, and that means there's there's risk there, right? Because you're not trying to conform and, and put everything. And so, you know, that I think that's one thing that uh, Iger realized that you're gonna make mistakes, right? You're mm -hmm. gonna make mistakes, and you got it, especially in a, being a creative or a human endeavor like storytelling, or it, you know, there's gonna be times when you're going to have something and it doesn't quite, you know, launch the way you'd want it to or, or do everything. So like the, some of the, the, the ideas about risk-taking, like you said, so I got some quotes here, like one is just granting permission to fail. Right. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, and, yeah, and, and so having true. that sort of perspective of like, you're going to make mistakes on the way to that better classroom, that better teaching. That's just and, making sure and, that teachers understand that. And piggybacking off that is not just for yourself, but the grace to forgive another's failure, mm. which unfortunately, a lot of times in education, like, you know, we will be slightly judgmental, I would say, upon someone's not turning in homework or not paying attention or 
you know, you go down the laundry list of those behavioral type issues that we deal with and as opposed to giving them grace. Um, yeah. There, I'm not, I'm not saying that we need to have a free for all, that's not what nope, I'm saying, but, nope. but better, better grace for their own risk taking. Um, you know, uh, my daughter, uh, it, is at a small college in Ohio and she, you know, they had a, they had a test and she, she's, she, and I, you know, I, of course we always believe our daughters, but, I've, but I'm also a, a realistic, you know, and I, I don't think I've ever not taken the teacher's side in 90% of the cases, but in this one case, you know, I heard her say like, dad, every one of us failed this test. And none of us could understand where some of these questions came from. And I think to myself, like, how did that happen? Mm. Like, how did that happen? Yeah. And, and I, and I don't know for sure, but, and, and then is that person, is that professor being reflective enough to ask themselves, is it really them? Or was it me? Yeah. That's another quote. Take responsibility when you screw up. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. Well, and then, you know, and so that's, yeah, I, I, I've talked about this as a behavior in my class, remaining open-handed, right? So open-handed being mm -hmm. like, if everyone's not doing really well on this thing, how well am I doing at teaching or creating an environment for them to be successful? And so, you know, and, and that, uh, and what and what good in some ways does this do to, for you to keep going down that that syllabus of yours, right? When you know that there's a fork in the road right now and an inflection point, mm -hmm. and you're like, boy, they're not getting it. How do I slow this down a little bit? Because who knows if you if you slow down, you may be able to speed up later on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and and thinking about you know, that environment for, uh, well, you said be in the business of creating possibilities for greatness mm. um, and thinking about, well, and again, it doesn't mean that it's always going to be great, but you create that environment. And so like thinking about, you know, I always, I always go back to like, you know, students and I'm dealing with, you know, teaching teachers how to teach math. And so like sometimes there's a previous in, uh, relationship with mathematics that is, might not be that great. Hopefully it is, yeah. but might not be. Um, and oftentimes it's not. And so thinking about, I want them to be in a place where their relationship with math is if they, you know, don't do too well in an assessment or, you know, might make a mistake on something that those are opportunities for growth, not a sign that, yeah, I, I me and math aren't hanging out anymore. Like, yeah. you know, we want everyone to engage with being doer or, and see themselves as doers of mathematics. And so how do you, how do you make a safe place where that can occur? And again, he's talking about like creating environments, right? And so like, you know, he's talking about those environments for Marvel and Star so, Wars and things to happen. Like he's creating these environments for them to be successful, but still providing them with the support and feedback in order to refine what they're doing. So what if we go back to that? One of the first things we talked about today, which was that relationship between Rune Arledge and, and Iger and yeah. in that moment when they met and what if, what if we changed? So listen to the difference between this. Some days I feel like it's tough just 
to just keep going or some days I feel like it's, it's tough just keeping my head above water. Well, it looks like you're going to need to get a longer snorkel. Or what if he said, some days I feel like it's tough to just keep my head above water. Well, I've got a longer snorkel for you. Yeah. <laughs> you still got to swim, but you hey, still got to do it. Yeah. Yeah. You, you still got to do it. But, but wait a minute. Like, okay. Like I heard, I heard, but I got, I got a snorkel that's a little bit longer. Like I'll give it to you. Right. Like mm-hmm. what if we thought that way more often about, you know, like being really solution oriented, you know, right. how often do we get, do we get, upset at our colleagues or each other or how many times did I get mad at my mom or dad when they would say like well just get it done like or a teacher that is like you're just gonna have to figure it out it's like if I could I wouldn't be frustrated and if if that were the case (laughs) I would you know like I am drowning I don't give do you and you know because you possess the knowledge you're the tour guide you're the expert you know there's a there's got to be another way give them a longer snorkel yeah yeah just find a way to tweak it you've got those snorkels sitting in your offices you got them in your classrooms your offices in your relationships in business and in life you've got them what if you just said as opposed to well you're, you know what, out of luck. You better find a longer snorkel. Yeah. Cause not like but, you're saying, I'm going to carry you out of this. You know, agree. Stay with the metaphor. I'm not going to carry out of this, but like, not like nope. Tom Hanks and Splash. I'm not going to just yeah. pick you up and take nope. you out. Uh, still got to do the work, but now I'm providing that. And again, going back to that good helping, right? Is like knowing, building that relationship, providing the thing that's, mm-hmm. that's needed in those spaces. So if it is like some, pointed professional development if it is that um if i'm thinking about you know leaning in with a student like providing that a question a provo- you know like question provocative a question, question as provocative a question statement. that'll point them towards like hey have yep. you thought about you know x and so and getting that oh now they have that so that they can still own the aha but i'm you know helping them like you say with the tour guide, Hey, have you looked over here? And like, Whoa, look over there. That's amazing. And like, I know that I know that you see the giraffes over here, yeah. but have you looked to the left yeah. and Oh, lo and behold here, are the rhinos. That's like, right. Yeah. But you, you know, we get, and you know, this is relationship though. And that's tough. And that's, where it we does. Get and that's, and, and then for me, it gets to one of, uh, Iger's m- more like kind of like poignant messaging near the end, which is, um, and I'm drawing a blank. So help me a little bit. Yeah. Um, the former chairman was Michael, um, what Eisner. Was his? Michael Eisner. Okay. Do you remember in the book that, that moment in time where Michael was leaving for the last time? Uh-huh. And, and, you know, I, I remember, I remember myself in, in a role, you know, feel, we always feel like we're either invincible or that, what are they going to do without me type of thing. And, mm-hmm. and I, I have learned in my career beyond firsthand that 
the seat stays pretty warm once mm-hmm. you once you walk out. Like that, that doesn't get very cool, and it sure does not get much dust on it. Yeah. Like there is someone that's going to sit in that seat when you're gone. But that the notion that the the wrapping yourself both from a I you know this is my classroom or my school to also the realization that there could be someone else teaching fifth grade just like you and and he 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 makes he paints this picture of this really sad moment and this like and yet a realization occurs for probably him and it did for me that it is a title and a position and a time frame and those things mm, yeah. don't matter <laughs> like they matter but they really don't matter i mean i joel i can't even tell you the number of times where i'll be talking with you know so many different types of people that are looking for jobs and you know and you get your you know most of my work is in consulting like we're bringing in a professional to help and it's so interesting the approach that the person has relative to the the name of the position and how much it pays right like that there are some consultants that honestly it does not matter to them like literally like they know that they are worth a hundred dollars an hour on a consulting fee but if i come to them and say hey i got this thing it's a really good fit for your skills um but it's only 75 they're like oh okay you know but there are others that are like oh no no i only am i am worth a hundred and it needs to have a director title and it needs to be a manager and then it's like okay so you then put more filters in the way of and those are arbitrary things because you know yes we we want to be compensated for what we're worth but sometimes altruistically a school district or a company can only afford X. They're really doing the best they can. And who knows, maybe that experience, while it may be less than, you know, this X might be less than this Y, it could be, you could be the exact person they need. And then what is, what is that fulfilling feeling worth to you? What is that, 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 that how much is it worth to know that you are loved, mm-hmm. appreciated? You can go to school district or company Z and get paid fifteen, twenty thousand dollars more, but you're getting treated like whatever. Yeah. Like what would it mean? And we, you know, it's it's that insecurity of not knowing our own worth that makes us want more worth. Yeah. And that's really like, I, I took a step back, you know, like I, I had to pivot in my career. I had to go in a completely other direction due to so many things. And there were people like, don't you ever accept a job? That's, you know, what do you mean? Hmm. Like in order for me to take this, I got to find a way to, move somewhere and sometimes it's not paid the best yeah 
Sometimes it's not perfect, but it's, if I, I didn't, if I didn't take that step kind of like sideways and down, I would not be where I am speaking with you today in a place that's even better than where I was before. Yeah. And, you know, so when we're thinking, when you're thinking about advising teachers and working with teachers about where do I, you know, how do I negotiate my salary? How do I, you know, it's like, know who you are, know what you're worth, but there's more than a number and a title. Yeah. Well, and finding fit, right. And finding fit within a place and seeing how that works with like, yeah, you could think about how much headaches like you'd have and like, and one position, like, Hey, if it's in your example, $25 more an hour, Versus yeah. like well, another one that's like, hey, this is smooth sailing over here, and it really fits the way that you operate. And like, it's like, I mean, for me, that's like, a, it's there's not even a decision there. It's like easy. Like, mm-hmm. I'll take the less to do that. Yeah, but it's, but yeah, yeah, I think finding good fit and like, and then I guess that does go to when I'm thinking about advising, you know, because a lot of folks that I'm seeing are going to get hired to become teachers, and I'm like, remember, you're interviewing them just as much as they're interviewing exactly. you. Exactly. Like how do you fit within the culture of the school and, and what are they looking for and how do they support their, their folks? And just exactly knowing it's like all positions are not, are not the same. I'm sure you no. have that conversation every single day. <laughs> yeah. They are. And, and it's so hard when you're, you know, and for me, like this is where we circle back to both and mm-hmm. because if it's either or, Either I get the salary or I don't do this, or this is my title or I won't, then it becomes limiting yeah. and you become, and you put the limit become, and you put the limit on there. Yeah. Whereas when I'm working with other contractors who are, who know like, yeah, I, I used to make X or yeah, I'm, I know my talents are worth a hundred, hundred dollars an hour, but boy, you know, I'm like, I can I don't, I'm not doing anything right now. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I don't right. have anything. So it's yeah. like, well, that's not exactly what I was hoping for, but you know what? You know, there are times where people are like, well, but if I take a job at $70 an hour, what's going to happen the next time? And it's like, uh, maybe it'll be 70 again. Yeah. Maybe it'll be a hundred, right. you know, because like at the end of the day, right? Like that one moment in time, it does not really define your value it defines to that company or that school or whatever what they can afford for this. Right. And you we can agree or disagree on on that amount, but but it it is a both and 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 that's just something I hope that at the end of as we're ending our conversation, right? Like I just hope that if there's one takeaway, right? One true nugget, it's it's, it does not have to be this way. Yeah. yeah. It can be, you can work, you can be both underwater and give someone a longer snorkel. Yeah, absolutely. Gary, this was a pleasure. Oh, Joel. So I, glad to have you on the planet. So much fun. Oh, I feel like we could talk for, for hours and hours. So I get, you know, maybe we'll have to do this again sometime. Yeah. yeah. We, there, there's a few more books. Out in the world, there are, there are, and uh, you know. So thank you. You've you have been you've been a both and in my life. You've been both a friend and someone who's pushed me. Um, You've been both um, 
someone who's loved me, but also somebody who has not allowed me to feel sorry for myself. You've you've uh, been someone who acknowledged when I was underwater and you said, well, here is a longer snorkel and I appreciate, um, I appreciate you. And, uh, um, I, I, I truly, truly am thankful for you. Yeah. Well, I was just thinking about this the other day. So like when we first met, I think we're, I think we're about five years apart in yeah. age. Something. And so like when we first met, that's a lot of, that's, that's a big gap. Yeah, you know, like we talk about proportions, fractions, whatever. And yeah. now, and and then now we just get like as the you know as you zoom out of the graph, like that the the difference in those like bar charts or whatever you want to say, yeah. like like they collapses a little bit, and we're like, you know, but still like both end like me, like mentor, you know, and then friend at the, both end, both end. Yes, there we go. So we'll they end can, on both. It can work. Both Thank hands. You, Gary. Thank you, Joel. Thank you, listeners. And um, if you're not following me on LinkedIn, I'd love to have you do that because uh, I love. I, I think that even though that um, you know, for mo- the majority of you as educators that are out there, I think that the Wednesday word and some of the things that we talk about in uh, that we're working with here in the corporate setting are very applicable to what you're doing as teachers and um, as administrators. And so, I'd love to connect with you if you ever um, are are interested. Or, or we can provide some guidance for you. Thanks, Gary. You're welcome. All right, so there it is. It's, it's our conversation with Gary Williams. And like, you know, he's making these connections throughout that conversation to his new role in the corporate world. And you know what's cool is like, that's kind of like the original purpose of this podcast is not to connect teaching to the corporate world, but actually to go the other way is to talk about all these great books that are written usually from a business perspective and then thinking about, well, how do they apply to the world of education? And so Gary has lived in both those worlds. So it's great to have his insight on that. And so even to think more about, you know, some other learnings that I had, you know, some things like, cause there was cool in the book. If you go in the back, like Bob Iger is basically, or in, in the book, they basically isolated all like the, uh, almost like quotes that you might use, like you put it over an infographic, like of a, you know, like the, uh, like a, a cliff with like a sunset happening. And then you put like one of these quotes from Bob Iger on there. And so at the end, and so it's kind of like a, a, a condensed version of the book without all the stories and anecdotes uh, built into it. But some things that I wanted to share also before we ended the podcast was uh, some practices that I kind of got from that and some things that just, we just didn't get through in the episode, which jammed full, but I still wanted to make sure we got to these. So one, like practices I want to take forward again from lessons here. So, you know, within the book, Bob Iger talks about like the Walt Disney, um, like Disney plus, right. And moving into an app into the streaming world. And basically like that was a big risk. Cause he's like taking away funds from, you know, the physical media and the movie theaters and stuff and saying, Hey, you should stream, which is a different thing that's not established yet. And so, you know, basically taking money from yourself. And so I had to create a complete different, like, uh, uh, like compensation structure. Cause it couldn't be a tied to revenue. Cause he basically saying like, we're going to lose money here. And so he had to innovate, he had to innovate and he couldn't be scared with that. And so that was something that was kind of stood out in thinking about teaching. Like, for example, one of the big things right now people are dealing with is chat GPT, this like AI that can like write papers and people are like, oh my gosh, people, machines can write papers. What are we going to do? Well, if everything you're doing, the only means of assessment is on 
of whether or not someone's learned something is through paper writing, well, then you might have some issues with assessment. Like you don't have issues with AI. You have issues with how you're gaining like what your students are understanding, right? And so there's lots of people out there that are talking about how to use chat GPT as a tool, right? And not be scared of it. It kind of reminds me of like, I did a podcast on Sound City where Sound City was uh, um, the music studio where a lot of the great albums that you, you know, Fleetwood Mac, Rumors, Nirvana, Nevermind, like Rage Against the Machine, all these different bands like recorded there. And it was an analog recording studio. So when digital shows up, like people getting scared and like Sound City went out of business. Well, some folks like Trent Reznor, he's like, the technology, like digital recording, is not something to be scared of. It's actually just a tool to use to make other cool music. And so not being scared of the technology, not being scared of innovation, but to you know you need to innovate. And so in the one of the quotes that um, are in this in the book that I wanted to make sure to get at. It was now more than ever, innovate or die. There can be no innovation if you operate out of a fear of the new. And so some people are afraid of like chat GPT or some people were afraid of online education. Some people are afraid. Some people were afraid of whiteboards, but I don't know if anyone was really afraid of whiteboards, but anyway, just that's something that stuck out to me. Like, Hey, what, how do you use these tools? Right. Don't be afraid of them. Just think of how do you use them for, to make a better learning experience? Or else, too, like he also had, um, you know, there's some like he Bob Iger was leading through, you know, some pretty rough times um, in the economy and things like that, where people are like, hey, I'm not going to Disney World or we can cut out some entertainment budgets and stuff like that. And so thinking about how do people um, react during doom and gloom times, which right now in education, there is some doom and gloom, right, that is happening. Like there's a attack on public education. There's, you know there's a teacher shortage. Um, but to say like, you know what, there's, there's some opportunities to innovate. There's some opportunities to think about how do we, how do we make what we're doing better? Right. And so to have an optimist, cause like just to sit there and bury your head in the sand and say, woe is me is not going to do anything, but to have that optimism. And I really like that. So, um, you know, like he has a quote, pessimism leads to paranoia, which leads to defensiveness, which leads to risk aversion. It means you're not going to try something. You're not going to try stuff. Um, you know, and also too, he, he said like being pessimistic is ruinous to morale. No one wants to follow a pessimist. That's true. Like where are you going to follow them? Again, to you put your head in the sand. Um, and finally, you know, and Gary kind of touched on this a little bit too in talking about, you know, what do you do when you're gone? Like what, what happens when you're gone? Talk about the transition of Michael Eisner out of the company or even to Bob Iger's own, like when he left, retired for the first time. And there's a quote here. Good leadership isn't about being indispensable. It's about helping others be prepared to step into your shoes, giving them access to your own decision making, identifying the skills they need to develop and helping them improve and sometimes being honest with them about why they're not ready for the next step up. So when I think about that, I think about legacy. I think about you know, what happens after you're gone, right? Is there some way that people are going to, you know, keep on with the things that you've put into place or do they just disappear when you're gone, right? And so that's what I see as legacy. That's what I also see as like uh, Carino, which Def Dun Jeff Duncan Andrade talks about in, some of, in one of his works, um, which is when you like do professional development at a school, when you stop doing the professional development at a school, does anything remain? What remains? And you want things to remain because if you're not, you're not being caring, you're not being loving, right? You're just being actually kind of selfish that I'm taking everything with me when I go, but does something stay there and has some 
lasting effects. And so that's what you want as a teacher, right? That your your students are carrying on some things, some practices. Maybe it's maybe it's not maybe it's about your subject area, but maybe it's not. Maybe it's about the way you approach life. Maybe it's about how you care for others in the classroom. And there's something to be learned there. And so thinking about also too, and this might go back to the teachers, like when I talk to teachers or when I see teachers, I want them to be thinking like, how can they convince others that to do this job, right? That to find their replacement, okay? Because it's not doing anyone any favors to just bash the profession. That's what I can't stand. But to say, hey, this is something that um, needs to be done. And, and yes, there needs to be increases in compensation and people, teachers need to have uh, you know, less things put upon them because we're, they're being overworked and, what, and whatnot. But how do, we, how do we help build up this profession, right? And so thinking about that and, and doing it, maybe even if it's not just for yourself, but it's for the person that follows you, right? And so that's where I think about with legacy. All right. So that's, that's, that's enough. So we're going to put some, show, uh, some links in the show notes. We'll put the link to Bookshop. We'll put the link to... Um, uh, Gary's LinkedIn page, so you can find him there. He's doing some cool stuff with these Word Wednesdays and stuff, so you get a little bit of extra dose of Gary if you're looking for that. Um, but yeah, thank you as always for listening to the, this episode. Again, show notes can be found at amazonplanet.com forward slash episode 88. Uh, for, if you're looking for ways to support, you can submit a question, comment, or suggestion to the mailbag by sending an email to joel at amazonplanet.com. You can also subscribe, rate, and review, and share this episode, which will allow more people looking for similar content to find it. As always, you can follow at Amadon Planet on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, or like the Amadon Planet Facebook page. In addition, you can subscribe to the Amadon Planet download, which came out for the first time in a while <laughs> at the beginning of February. So uh, if you want to gain access to the Amadon Planet download, you can uh, look for the join the email list button in uh, at AmadonPlanet.com. A bunch of them all over the place. Finally, check out the Amino Planet store, Amino Planet bookshop. Links are in the footer at aminoplanet.com where your purchases support the production costs of the podcast. Thank you for spending time on Amadon Planet. Thanks to Gary Williams for sharing his expertise. Thanks to Matt Mifflin for the music in this episode. Finally, thank you to all of you out there learning to teach better and be the good in the world by investing in the lives of others. This world is a better place because you have decided to use the gifts you have been given to serve others. Thank you for all that you do. Peace. Peace.